Again, Luke 20, beginning at verse 27. Some Sadducees, who deny that there's a resurrection, came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow but no children, the brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first man married a woman and then died childless. The second and then the third brother married her and then died childless. Eventually, all seven brothers married her and they all died without leaving any children. Finally, the woman died too. So, the Sadducees ask, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be since all seven were married to her? Jesus said to them, people who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to anticipate, to participate, pardon me, in that age, that is, in the age of the resurrection from the dead, will not marry, nor will they be given in marriage. They can no longer die because they're like the angels and are God's children, since they share in the resurrection. Even Moses demonstrated that the dead are raised. In the passage about the burning bush, when he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. To him, they are all alive. Some of the legal experts responded, hmm, Teacher, you have answered well. No one dared to ask him anything else. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Glad to see you guys here. Thank you for smiling back. That's always a pleasure. I'd like to just walk through the passage and pray that God will speak through me, that his words will speak through you when you respond, and together we'll uncover something new maybe. So let's start with kind of the context of the story. Things are starting to heat up, right? Jesus has come back to Jerusalem, and he's being tested and tried, and they're trying to trap him because... The leaders don't want to be the ones to uh, exactly destroy him, but they don't want him there. So they're starting to ask questions about the law in the previous passage to this, to see if they can trap him according to the Roman stuff. Who, should we pay taxes, right? Here they're trying to trap him in some of the fallacies of the, the Bible, and the Sadducees really are an interesting group as I understand it, they only believed and accepted the first five books of the Torah, and they denied things that were considered supernatural. So they actually said, we don't believe in the resurrection, we don't believe in angels, we don't believe in all the greatness that we have heard, I guess. They believe the pieces. So when they put this out here, they're asking them a question about the resurrection, 
Some believe that that was because that was a common question they used to back up their position. That it doesn't make sense to have this absurd scenario where you've got seven brothers who marry through the same woman, and then how could there be a resurrection? Because who would she be the wife of? It's illogical, right? But I think what's really interesting about it is it does, um, it shows Jesus' response in so many ways. He, he discerns their purpose. He knows that they're trying to trap him. And he's wise enough to give a response that doesn't trap himself, but exposes the fallacy in their reasoning. And I'm thankful that our God knows us. He knows us in depth. He knows our motives. And sadly, he knows when I'm trying to do good. He knows when I'm trying to do bad. Um, and he knows that for each of us. We are truly and fully known by our God. And I think that's really the point of this scripture passage. So continuing through that, there's this absurd story. Let's say the first brother marries a wife. He dies childless. Now, in Deuteronomy, where they have this passage that the man's brother should raise up, should, should father a child with that woman and raise it up, what was the purpose of that? As I stop and think about it, I think back to what we've learned about the culture in that time and how important the legacy of family was, that generational blessing that comes. And that's, to me, what I think they were trying to achieve in Deuteronomy. So much of what I'm learning about the Bible as I continue to study is that I can't understand it in a first attempt. My mind is weak and small and limited by just my small piece of existence. But if I start to learn more and expand more, I hope that I get closer to the truth of the meaning. So I can't say for sure. Obviously, I'm not God. But it seems to me, based on the culture at that time, the purpose of this passage from Deuteronomy is truly to continue a man's legacy, to continue that family's legacy. So I think as we put it into our own human terms, we heard Moses speak and say, you got to marry down the life. I think that's not the purpose. And I can say, when my first husband died, there's a, there's a break that happens. Now, I adore my brother-in-law. He's an amazing guy, kind and wonderful, and technically was available at that point in time. So maybe I should have followed Deuteronomy. But I think that's not really what the goal is, is to continue it just in the strict sense of continuing the family line. I think of it more in terms of let's continue the legacy of a godly man. Let's look at how we can carry that forward. And that, to me, approaches closer to what I hear in the story of resurrection. We will come alive. We will be with God. We will be in communion with each other and with him. And so I, I'm thankful as I look back now that I love my husband and my new children, and as much as I love my brother-in-law, it probably was the right path for me because I ended up here, and somehow God's using me, right? Um, but it does bring to mind what happens, and we make up so many ideas about what heaven will be like, who will we be with, how will we live, what will it be like, and we're so, so limited. We don't know enough, even with all we can read in the Bible. There isn't enough because we're just humans. So I'm thankful that our ideas of what this 
particular passage from Deuteronomy, this law means has evolved. And I think that's important to realize in some of these passages and what the Sadducees believed. So how do we continue that legacy? The key thing for me is, what is marriage really? I think marriage is a glimpse at what communion with God can be like, at least when it's done right. Certainly, we're very human, we screw up sometimes. Um, I adore my husband, but occasionally we have different opinions or maybe even fight, right? Um, perhaps others in marriage have experienced that. But there are also moments where we feel like we're exactly on the same page and in connection and together. And that gives me a glimpse of what heaven could be like, what this upside down kingdom could be like. Think of what that would be with God. When we are resurrected, we will be in true intimacy and communion with God. That surpasses anything we can experience here on earth, right? And I think that's a lot of what we learn in this passage. We know some little glimpses here and some little glimpses there. But as we continue forward and we truly are resurrected, all the joy and ecstasy of being together will be ours at last. And I think that that really is a key point that needs to be made, not just for the Sadducees, but for us here and today. Marriage will not be needed in God's kingdom because we will experience the real thing. Another thing that I thought was important to take from here is Jesus' um, stuff. Those who are considered worthy to participate in the age of resurrection won't marry or be given in marriage. They can no longer die because they are like angels and are God's children since they share in the resurrection. Even Moses demonstrated that the dead are raised. He says, not that I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a living God. We will be alive. And much of what I studied as I was kind of glancing through this, we will still be united with those we love, our family. We will be united with them. But the whole scope of resurrection shall be different. And we can't put God in a box. I think that's something we're guilty of doing. We are small, so we put him in this small box of this is what it must be like. So as we go forth, I want us to remember we can't limit God. He is big enough to spread into every portion of us. In fact, he's so big, not only does he fill and spread out in every portion of us, he spills out into the world around us. To me, that is the truth within this passage. We can't limit him to what we understand because we have just a, such a small human experience here on earth. Really what we're looking to do is let him expand. Let's not limit him. When I became a Christian, I thought I understand the glories, understood the glories of God. If you've been a Christian for more than a few months, I bet you understand that you, you're nothing at that point, right? Our God is more. As we learn more about him, we learn that he is more tender, more compassionate, more just, more powerful than we could ever have imagined when we started to learn about him. Let's let our God be the God of more.
Let's take him forward into our days, into every aspect, and let him spill over so that it's not only us that's changed by him, but the world around us. So, super short, <laughs> but I do invite you to share your responses, your thoughts about this passage, how God speaks to you through it. 